Hey everybody, it's Andy. Uh, just figured I'd let you know up front that we had a little trouble with Rick's audio today. Kind of works itself out as we go along, but I uh, figured I'd let you know up front. Thank you so much for listening. The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another. And we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. (laughs) You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Side studies. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and on my left is Billy I Candy Kimsey. Oh, yeah, more like uh, Candy COVID or COVID candy now. <laughs> uh, is there such a thing? I, think, I think now. Yeah, I yeah, think now. that's what I hear. Behind the glasses, Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. Hello. Yeah, how he are doesn't you? do the sound anymore. The yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's too cool, though. By the way, uh, <laughs> so Ralph Hicks always says, all right, all right, all right. And I I bought Days to Confuse over the holidays, and I watched it, and the name of his character is Wooderson. Wooderson? Yeah, Matthew Wooders- McConaughey's Wooderson. character, Wooderson. He's the one that says, that's the, that's the thing I like about them high school girls. Yeah. You know, yeah. I keep getting older, but they stay the same age. Yeah. So sick. We yeah. also have here uh, Jonas Welch. What's up? Yep, don't have a nickname for him yet. No, I'm too tiny and feeble-minded. <laughs> that, I don't. I was. I didn't want to say the little squirt. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's so wrong. wrong. If you were going to give me a name, that might as well be it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Anyway, well, so we have taken. We've we've been on a little hiatus here. We had some holiday time off. You guys aren't going to know that because we just go from week to week. But uh, we are now in the fourth part of the Olivet discourse. And uh, if you listen to the last three. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'll apologize in advance, you know, after what Ralph said in the last one that, you know, this is very, very detailed and it is. And I hope that if you're one of those people that are, that like to study, that get in depth, this is uh, our best effort to try to really give you as much information as possible from the preterist point of view. I've, I've been met with a lot of, I guess, negativity is the best way to put it. Dispensationalism has such a grip on the American psyche when it comes to end of time study or eschatology. You know, looking at a futuristic rapture, uh, looking at the coming of Christ, looking at the temple that they want in Jerusalem, the Great Tribulation, which is something we're going to get into today. Looking at it from a past perspective, I don't know why it feels so threatening. I am, like I've said before, I have not risen my flag up on everything, but I definitely believe that the temple in AD 70 being destroyed is is a significant event that happened according to exactly the way Christ had predicted that it would happen. And any other way of looking at it, in my opinion, is stretching it. Um, Whereas this one is more like, to me, it feels like, if you don't want to believe any of this, that the writers actually wrote these books after it happened and made it sound great in time. You know, I've said that before. But if these Gospels were written when they were supposedly written, which was from uh, the 40s to the 60s. I, I guess that didn't occur to me. I mean, you know, these books aren't really, these aren't exactly the books from that time, not necessarily exactly the words. Of course, you believe it's uh, divine and 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 uh, 
true or uh but yeah it did i wasn't even thinking about it from the sense of like well really this was written down significant time later and mm-hmm. and some of it could possibly be some sort of religionist stuff and it haven't even occurred to me yeah i mean mostly the the books that are that we do have are second century and that's a long time man that's a long time for some writings to be counted as considerable documentation of something that happened in the first century you know if if somebody writes a story you know, a hundred years from now, what's it going to sound like in comparison to what we sound like today? You know, you follow what I mean, Billy? Like, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, what if somebody listens to our podcast a thousand years from now? Right. Some may agree, some may disagree, some may think we're right on drugs or yeah. you know. I mean, the more that I've read it, and I feel like that the Greek language, which was what you know, most of these New Testament books were written in. Um, I, it's my opinion that they were written in Hebrew to start with and that they were translated into the common language because most of these people were Jewish. You know, there was only one Gentile that wrote a book in the Bible, and that was Luke. And uh, Luke wrote Acts, and Luke wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke, supposedly. You know, the physician did. And he was Gentile. He was from Troas. But the rest of them were all of Hebrew descent. Yeah. You know, and so they would write in their, their native language. So was there, I mean, they were under Roman rule at the time, right? They were. And they, and Greek yeah, was the language. They probably still would have written for themselves to each other letters and et cetera. They probably still would have written, written in their native language, I guess. Yeah. I would think so. And, and let's be real. I mean, most people couldn't read, you know, back then anyway. Well, that's true. You know, I, you know, I fail to remember that because this is all written word. So you don't think about the fact that, the people that could do, could write and read were pretty privileged at that time. That's right. It doesn't mean that they're all, everybody that could read and write was rich, but but they were privileged in that they could read and write. And that would have been a certain percentage of the population. And that's, I, find, I find that very easy to forget when yep. you're reading a book. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's easy for us, you know, but even in today's time, we have people that can't read. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's very common. It's strange uh, to me, but I, it uh, happens. I have a friend this is a divergent. I'll try to keep it short, but it's an interesting story. If nothing else, I have a friend that's not really a reader. I haven't seen him in a while, but you know, he's doing good. Uh, and we went, me and another friend and him went to see Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And mother those words came up on that screen. And I just was like, we brought this dude that I know does not read barely at all to wow. a sub an entire two hour subtitled movie and it's just <laughs> wow. like oh god and then you just feel terrible and then I just waited 10 minutes and just started like you know like subbing up or reading the subtitles to him because I was like what else are you gonna do yeah so, did he enjoy it yeah I, I think he, he took a pretty you know it was awkward for a minute and I get this bar I get this thing in the wrong place if I on the mic I can't see Billy uh, it yeah it was it was awkward at first but I mean he he took it well. He's not. He's not a super assuming sort of guy. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, yeah. like, I think he. I'm sure there was a pang of pride in there when he realized it was going to be a problem for him. But he's not the sort of guy that is really gets really hung up or whatever on his own ego. So. Crouching Tiger is a beautiful film to watch. Like, it's even without the language, even with not understanding the language. Sure, you wouldn't get the whole story, but it's a beautiful story to watch. I love it. Oh, yeah, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was I love it, movie. especially when he's like walking on the bamboo and stuff, man. It was like, <laughs> that was the best. That's, that's, just, that's just very bizarre 
you know, like you said, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, I'm not the best reader. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I can read. Right. Um, but that's just, that's, that's really, I guess you just never think of that. No, like, like, no, it like, was, it was a moment of shock when I was like, well, I was like, oh God, this movie is subtitled and he's going to be stuck here for two hours because it was yeah. not a short film. Yeah, that's, that's, that's tough. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I mean, it's, <laughs> what'd you think of the movie? He's like, well, <laughs> other than the words, the popcorn was good. Other than most of the, most of the script. Yeah. So, right. Wow. Okay. Well, we don't have Cherry uh, with us. Cherry Lewis is out. She has COVID and this just happened a couple of days ago. So, Hopefully, uh, she and her husband will be getting well soon. I know I just went through it. You might hear that in my voice. I know Billy just did. Jonas just did. Wah, you know, wah. we've all we've all battled it. I and, have, uh, I you, have like a there's like a, a small percentage chance I caught it coming off of being in Jersey. I had this because it turns out that uh, Kristen's brother had had it but he didn't know at the time or he didn't tell us thanks and uh <laughs> that's the problem you're a problem but anyway, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh so and i came back and i felt a little off and i didn't know at the time i had no idea that he had it so and i just had this one day where i felt feverish and crappy and it was only like one day and it was enough i just kind of went through i just kind of dealt with it and it was really fast and then found out later that later that he had covid so i was like i wonder if i just had like the super fast because incubation times out well with the day i felt crappy yeah and i wonder if i just had like the the really easy version uh are you fully vaccinated uh no two not three two not three yeah so even so though with the vaccination well even with even with three there's not full protection against omicron it's just every vaccine you get Apparently, you just you kind of ride it out a little faster and a little better. But even with full vaccination, I don't think you're 100 percent protected against Omicron. Well, like I said, when I was taking care of my mom, I had I was immersed in it. But so were Alan and Colin, and they both were fully vaccinated. Three, you know, three jabs uh-huh. and uh, nothing. Like they didn't get anything. Nothing. And then I did, and I'm not vaccinated. And, you know, I've had uh. I've had COVID three times. And so now I'm like, okay, as soon as I get through this three-week period and I can go get jabbed. I'm You're just like, going to go do it. Just go do it. I'm just going to get, get done, it. man. Like, I got to get it done. That, I keep thinking my antibodies are awesome and it's going to, no. I, I three times. Three that's times. Wild. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's, that's crazy. You're a yep. survivor. My first one, I had no symptoms. My second one, I had no symptoms. This one kicked my butt. This really? one was rough. So, so wow. it was confirmed, if anybody was interested, that Rick did have the, the Delta and not the Omicron. Right, Yeah. I got deltified. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Nice. So, and then Ralph Hicks is not here. He was actually going to be here tonight, but he had to leave um, due to some family issues. And uh, I won't go into that. I'll let him reveal some of the. He's got some cool things going on in his family, and he has some things he has to take care of. So he is out. Uh, he'll be in Wilmington. So he won't be on the next couple of episodes, but he'll be on. Um, he'll be back. You know, here in a couple of weeks. So cool. We'll miss Ralph. Yeah, and also, uh, Andy, I just wanted you to know, I had a conversation with Tiziana, and she is definitely coming in March. Awesome. She seemed interested. Yeah, she did. uh, She studied in gender studies, which when we get into the transgenderism and and those discussions, and she wants to be in that. Oh, she has opinions about stuff. Yeah, she sure does. And I I can definitely tell that she's not going to let me talk a lot, which is going to be great. Oh, no, I know. That's a super break there. That's awesome. She (laughs) asked that coming into it. She was like, like, now I noticed Rick talks a lot. And I was like... (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, well, that's because none of the rest of us really have the ability to fill the air like that. And she was like, oh, good. That's what I was hoping you would say. Yeah, no yeah. problem. I can fill the air. Yeah, she can totally fill it. And, you know, she actually is in uh, seminary school, which is going to be great because, right. you know, now she's going to be bringing some even more information too. So she'll be visiting sometime in March when we're doing our transgender episodes, uh, much like we, you know, we solved racism. So we're going to tr- <laughs> <laughs> turn our, turn our eye. Yeah. That, that's uh, so funny. And we, uh, we'll, we will have uncle AJ and aunt Joan back to uh, finish up the critical race theory. We didn't get to finish those. So we, I like to jump around. I actually, um, I, I enjoy that whenever I put the episodes out, you know, you have to just go from one to the next. <laughs> they You're confused. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> so anyway, uh, what we're going to do today, we're going to go into the Great Tribulation. So, so far in the Olivet Discourse, we've got to verse number 20. And uh, in the last one, we talked about the abomination that causes desolation. I said that that is a past event. I believe that it is. Now, the Great Tribulation is something that Christians have talked about as long as I can remember. And I became a Christian in 1985, November of 1985. And since that time, I have heard about these end times that, that Jesus is going to come back, there's going to be a rapture, there's going to be this great tribulation. I, I was part of churches that were the pre-tribulation rapture, which was before the tribulation even hit, we were raptured out of here, so we didn't have to endure anything. And then hell on earth happens. Um, as I've gotten older and I've studied this as thoroughly as I have, I believe now that this is more of a localized event. However, the great tribulation, in my opinion, has happened already, and it is horrible. It is horrible. Yeah, I, I, interested to get into some of that just based on the notes and like, yeah, I assume that's one of the. I, you know, what, I'm about to get ahead of us, so just go ahead. But I just, just so you understand, most people believe that the Great Tribulation is coming in the future. Oh yeah, I know this. That this is an interesting to me. This is a completely novel take on this. Yeah, and the, I'm yeah. telling you guys, the, what is it? you said? It's dispensationalism. Dispensationalism. Yeah, completely it, novel to me. Didn't know that there was a whole school of thought about that. Yeah, in 170 years um, is is how long this dispensationalist you know theory has been going around. This was not something that the, you know, early Christian fathers or the church as a whole for generations of generations believed. They believed in um, more of a preterist approach or, or what you would call a partial preterist approach, which was that all of these major events that Jesus predicted actually happened, but that his full culmination of coming in and reigning what they call the millennial reign, where he is on the throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And then, you know, he's ushered in the kingdom and then they release Satan again. And then, then there's a great white throne judgment and all of the things that are in revelation, you know, so it does get deep, but it's my opinion that this is all past and it's a, it's a unique position, but it wasn't as unique. And I don't, I don't think many Americans are aware of that. So let me stop you right before you keep going. Um, so you're saying that the churches started preaching more that Jesus is coming back 200 years ago or yeah. 170 years ago. So why in, why, like, is it because churches need to be bigger and scare us and more money and this and that? Or, like, why Why? Why is it? Because, of course, everything you see on TV, some preachers, not every preacher, not every church, but a lot of them use current events to say, we're getting closer to Jesus coming back. Right. I've, I've heard that ever since I was a kid. And, you know, sometimes you're like, okay, when is he coming back? Or what is he coming back? Or whatever. So, 
why the switch in in the church and the beliefs in the you know like why that's a great question i mean i asked myself that same question like why does everyone believe all of these things to be future with as much information and i know that happened in the past well this is this has opened my eyes i mean because I, I was there too you know like like you know, and, and I'm not saying you're right or you're wrong, right? Uh, and, and and I'm I'm still reading and, and researching. That's, that's and for thinking. Ralph to decide. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But uh, but I don't know. It's just it's very interesting. Very very interesting. I think that, like I said before, if we are in the new heaven and new earth, and I had said before that I didn't think we we were. Now I believe that we are. The farther I've got into this study, I believe that we are. A lot of people, are like, oh, this sucks. This is the new heaven. I mean, you call this the new <laughs> heaven and earth. The way that we define heaven is why we don't necessarily that we all agree on this. We have in order to have a proper debate, you need to d- know how these words are defined, and that's true of any debate. Okay, you've got to know you've got to know how these words are defined. When Jesus said. My words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall never pass away. Heaven and earth, uh, is that's really what it, what it boils down to, is that in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, whenever the tabernacle was created during Moses' time, God came and dwelt with man and stayed inside the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And so, God was dwelling with man through this tabernacle, okay? And then they were following his laws and they were you know, being subject to those laws of Yahweh, okay? And he was there with the tabernacle. Then when Solomon came along, he built the temple, the first temple, okay? And God came and dwelt in that temple in the Holy of Holies. Heaven and earth is that God dwelt with man. At the temple in the Holy of Holies was where God's spirit resided with man. That's heaven and earth. It's God with Israel, with his people, what Jesus is saying is that heaven and earth will pass away. In other words, the old covenant, the old testament, the this way of doing religion where God is only in one place is going to end. And if you think about it in that fashion, according to Jesus, it was better for him to die and go because then he could send the Holy Spirit. Correct? Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, if God is residing in a single area in one little place, it's not as powerful as if he's in every single one of us. Think about it. We can be all over the world and the spirit can be indwelt inside us. And now God is everywhere. So there is a new heaven and a new earth. God is dwelling in the temple, the temple made without human hands. It is a temple of believers. So that's the new heaven and the new earth. So I've been saying this is a spiritual thing and it actually relieves me. It actually relieves me a lot because yeah. I was petrified for the longest time. I felt like I wasn't living up to God, what I expected. And then I finally learned, oh, we can't. We really can't live up to any expectation that God had set for us as far as perfection. That's what Christ was for. Christ was perfect, and Christ sacrificed his own life to end the old covenant and usher in the new kingdom where God dwelt with man through the Holy Spirit. You go to heaven as we define it which is a place where there will be no sin, a place where there'll be no pain, no tears, no, and we'll get to see our family. We say those kinds of things. That's the afterlife. That's after our physical walk with God here. Okay. That's, that's, that's interesting. So it doesn't, it doesn't preclude life extending. No. Life as we know it extending. It's uh, there's, there's still heaven. It's just 
Yeah. Okay. Right. And so that's interesting. Okay. That's if we're new. seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus right now, according to the New Testament, what Paul taught, then that means that our spirit is aligned with Christ, that we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us, and we are seated with him there. He is there. We are in the new heaven and new earth. We just can't physically see it yet. We see through a glass darkly. That's what he says. It's it's a a glass that's very, very dark that you can sort of see glimpses of it. You you can attest to it with your spirit, but you can't see it. You're not in the spirit realm necessarily. I believe that prophecies have ceased. I believe that um, there there are no more prophets. If there are prophets out there today that are saying prophecies, I just, nope, sorry. It's interesting, guys. I believe in, I, I've coined the term groupthink. I mean, at least it, it is to me. Maybe there is a word for it. But when you get into a crowd of people that all believe the same things, it's easy to begin to conform to what you are around. That's herd, man. It's herd mentality. Yeah. It's groupthink. Yeah. And so, in my opinion, Billy, with to answer your question, you know, why? I think that at some point, somebody was like, you know, this can't be all there is. There's got to be more to it. They started studying it. They started seeing things. They were like, hey, maybe this means this, and maybe this means that. And so, they started developing these theories on what they think is going on. Most people don't even know the history of Jerusalem and how it was destroyed. Most people don't understand uh, any of this. They've never heard it. And yeah. so, they're going to believe what they've been told. And if you don't believe what you've been hearing around other people, then you will be alienated. And you just will. And I am. I get alienated all the time. I've learned to enjoy it because it means I'm on the right track. Typically, it does. It's crazy. But the more I've the more I've studied and the more I talk and I say, hey, have you actually read it? Yeah, have you true. read it? Or are you just you, listening to you, what everybody yeah. else is telling you right now? So if I say the Great Tribulation is a past event, it's because I've found a whole lot of information to make me think so. So, Jonas, if you don't mind, um, we invited Morgan Freeman to the show, and uh, he's a great narrator, so we're going to have him read. I would like you to read Matthew 24, verse 1 through 21. Actually, let's just do this. Do your best, Morgan Freeman, on verse 21. That's what we're actually talking about. Okay. Uh, You know what? If if you want to feel better, I can just play you the unedited read that I did. Did you read it? No, no, no. Remember the one I did? Oh, yeah, the (laughs) unedited. I can play you. I did one read. It was I, for Thanksgiving. And when yeah. it was all done, he was like, there's a lot of editing in that mother effer. <laughs> yeah. I'll play you my unedited read. So yeah. It'll wow. make you feel better. I promise. Okay. So just verse 21 is yes. Morgan Freeman. Would you still like me to read through chapter one? Or? No, just the verse 21. Okay. Just the verse 21. Or then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No. And never will be. Now, can you do like anything about that. Andy Dufresne? Nice. Hmm? Can you do the Andy Dufresne? As in like Andy Dufresne fr- can you like do himself? A, can you do the Morgan Freeman talking about Andy Dufresne? No, Andy. Yeah. yeah, like the very beginning thing. Where he's just Andy <laughs> Dufresne came to Shawshank <laughs> yeah. Prison in early 1947 for murdering his wife and the fellow she was banging. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. <laughs> That's yeah, pretty good. It's That's pretty good. good. Very good. All right. So anyway, <laughs> we went off the rails there. Yeah, All right. So you're I want to focus. Definitely go get some hate mail. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus himself says to the disciples, "This guys, he says this. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be." That's Jesus Christ himself saying that. So, I I put a lot of stock in his words. And so, I tried to imagine what my life would have been like if I were a disciple in his time. And you remember, I told you in the last few episodes, 
you know, they're like, when are you going to be the Messiah? And he's like, you're going to be persecuted and killed. You know, and it's like, bummer, you know. I have bad news for you. <laughs> yeah, like. Right. You ready? Okay, so <laughs> we're one of yours. And he says, um, most of you are going to die. And they did, you know. You've done a really great thing in, in following me. And you're going to be punished for it. Right. A lot. Yeah, so. As far as dispensationalism in regard to the Great Tribulation, you have pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-tribulation. There, All of these different sects believe different ways in regard to this one event, that the church is either raptured out beforehand, in the middle of the tribulation, after three and a half years, during war, and then it becomes peaceful, or that it's after all of the tribulation is done, then you know they get raptured out. And the reason why they use that is because it talks about, uh, in Thessalonians, that... Um, you know, to comfort one another with these words that we're going to be, you know, in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be taken up and meet Jesus in the clouds. And so, people believe that men that are dead in Christ already are going to explode out of the ground and start floating up in the sky. And then we will float in the sky. It's my opinion that this is a uh, actually a spiritual event that happens on all around the globe, that there is a specific time during this war, that suddenly the spirit realm, um, it comes into existence. All of those who are dead, all of those who are alive at the time, there's this translation that just happens. It's in the moment. It's in the twinkling of an eye. And it's already happened, in my opinion. So, um, but I'm looking at this from a predator's point of view, saying that this has already happened. And so, here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> He says, for then there will be great tribulation. Then is when, whenever the disciples were there, when he says, then there will be great tribulation, he said that when you see Jerusalem surrounded by these armies in the book of Luke, verse, uh, chapter 21, you know that its desolation is near, flee to the mountains. And we've read historically that, that happened, that the disciples actually left when Cestius Gallus backed off of the city for no reason at all. We, I believe that it was God intervening, however... Um, none of the historians understood why Cestius Gallus backed off on his siege, and that allowed people to escape the city. And I've told you before, during a siege, you don't run outside the walls. You stay inside the walls. That's the safest place. Right. So the fact that there was that Jesus had warned them, now it's time to leave, there is a historical account where the disciples got out of Jerusalem and they went to Pella in the mountains. They got away in time. Which that is, is interesting. I wonder, I wonder why the siege took a... Took a break. Is it, took a pause, yeah. Sure, there wasn't like some, I mean, it wouldn't be unheard of during a siege for them to do something like that and be like, you, you could, we'll let a couple, we'll let you leave if you want. You yeah. go one day. I don't Hold know. on, guys. Let's get a selfie. Yeah. So, what we Before do we... know is that there was a lot going on back in Rome and there was always turmoil in Rome, tumult in Rome. Everyone was always vying and trying to become the emperor. And um, at this time, Cestius Gallus is the general that is there. That is, uh, he has literally the ability to take the entire city. He just doesn't know it. And so he backs off when he does, and then he hears about what's going on back home. He just pulls away, huh. and that's what's going on. And none of the historians could understand, none of the generals of the time could understand why did he pull back. It's Jesus has said to the disciples, when you see this happen, it's time to escape. And it's my opinion that this is that moment. You know, it just, this is the moment. It's, yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to understand, but it just is. So, but he says then, okay, Jesus says then, 
and I keep arguing this point, you know, what in the world is, uh, you know, how can we look that it would be comforting to anybody if it's 2000 years later, right? I mean, how is that comforting to anybody in front of him if he says, um, you know, and then 2000 years from now, many, many two centuries ish after you die and all of your children's children's children die. Right. Right. But if you read the parallel verses in Luke 21, verse 20 through 24, it says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Notice what it said, to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So he says, he's telling the disciples right here, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. What does that mean, to fulfill all that is written? Well, all prophecy would be fulfilled. That's what it means. And in Daniel chapter 9, when he's talking about this desolation, he says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. That most holy place that he's talking about isn't another physical temple. It is the spiritual temple. It is God dwelling with man. And that's what's so difficult about yeah. understanding this philosophy that I'm trying to show you is that we we look because we're English we, we look for physical everything. Yeah. This is a spiritual thing that Jesus is describing. He's like you must be born again. You got to be born of water and of the spirit. We are the temple. This is a spirit. The Holy Spirit will indwell. This is a spiritual thing. This book is spiritual. And what's going on is America makes it physical. And America says, oh, it can't be real unless you're exploding up into the sky. They're not, they're not using three quarters of the Bible. If they don't read the Old Testament and understand what the Old Testament symbolism is, they can't read Revelation. If they don't understand what Daniel is saying, what Amos is saying, if they don't understand, even all the way back to Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, when you start understanding how the Levitical priesthood was and the way that the temple had to be set up and how these things were placed, all of this stuff matters— Because it's Hebrews talking to Hebrews, and they're talking about their God, and there's a big change that's coming. God's going to dwell with all nations, not just ours anymore. Yahweh, the God of gods, he's going to dwell with all men. So that's what's going on here. Okay, and so in Daniel chapter 9, continuing on, he says, And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to, end, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. That's Daniel nine twenty six. So basically, Luke has just said in chapter 21 the same thing that Daniel is saying, that Jesus is in agreement with what Daniel is saying, of course. He's like, here comes the moment. Jesus was the anointed one. He was the Messiah. He was going to be cut off. Cut off meaning killed. It was all. It was always known that that's why he came. I wonder. That'd be a, a 
fun one. Is that is cut off the English language in that? Yes. What's the Strong's concordance on that? Do you know? I mean, that's a wild I don't jag. Know. I don't know. That would be uh, a Hebrew one. word, but we can definitely go back and check that, though. I think we should. Yeah, that's interesting to me, just because it is it is not readily apparent to me that that's necessarily what is meant by cut off. Like that is that is a that is a legitimate interpretation uh, of that, but it's certainly not the only way you can use that word. Right. So I'm wondering what the yeah. Well, let's take a look. So I'm going to go to Daniel chapter nine. And let's see what it says as far as to be cut off. And that was 926, I believe it was. So here, to be cut off is uh, number H3772. Call wrath, a primitive root to cut off, to cut off, down, or asunder by implication to destroy or consume, specifically to a covenant. That's a little more clear, I'd say. Yep. Make an alliance or bargain originally by cutting flesh and passing between the pieces. That's an original. Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Be chewed, be ate, um, cut down, felled, hewn down, basically utterly destroyed. Huh. Yeah. So, so so actually I think that to me that feels like the to me that feels like the translation is weak. Yeah, I mean I would agree. I mean if I guess if you understand the language well from their point of view it's like the anointed one is going to be utterly destroyed. I mean, cut off is a right cut off is a definition you kind of brushed on, but it's not like it doesn't feel like if that's what the information they were trying to portray, I mean utterly destroyed or like any one of a number of combination of other words that just came out there would would be more clear, like a little yeah. less vague. Absolutely. And and we have to remember, too, these words, they mean something. Like, they have meaning, right? And so, to say that the Messiah is going to be cut off means that he was going to be killed. And Jesus is sitting in front of these disciples, and he's saying, uh, just like Daniel the prophet said, the Messiah is going to be cut off. The anointed one's going to be cut off. They had to know right then, like, okay, wait, what is going on? You were just down here telling these Pharisees, woe to you, woe to you for all the things that you've done, woe to you, I'm here now. But then in the private moment with his disciples, they're like, okay, when are you going to do this? Like, you're going to take down this giant, you know, class and you're going to put us in power. And he says, I'm going to be killed and so are you. Yeah, and he's like, I have bad news. <laughs> I know, it's got to feel like bad news, right? Yeah. And it is, it's, it's unbelievable. So... All right, so let's see here. Now, if if in that Daniel 9, when it talks about how that it will be complete, like the it will seal all vision and prophecy, that means that there once this happens, there will be no more prophecies. All prophecies are fulfilled. That's what it means. So if that's the case, and I'm saying that the Great Tribulation actually happened in the past, that means that all prophecy has ceased. And it's funny because we read this at every wedding. Most people don't really pay attention to it. You know, most Christian weddings, they read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. It doesn't seek its own. It says all this stuff, right? And if we know in part and we prophecy in part, then such and such. But then he says, tongues will cease. Prophecies shall cease. And in my opinion, he's letting us know 
that love conquers all, but all these other things, like the tongues, which was used for bringing the church, prophecy, which was used for bringing in the church, all of these things were being used to usher in the kingdom. Once the kingdom was ushered in, they all ceased, and all that was love, all that was left was love, which is what I've been preaching here. <laughs> all all <laughs> you need is All love. you need is love. Love. If you don't believe it, love then... Love is all you need. So, what I want to do is, um, we've already been at this for almost an hour and literally haven't got into anything hardly, but so what I'm going to do is read what Paul says in regard to this. It says, well, actually, let's see. In Matthew 24, we just said that about the Great Tribulation. Now, Daniel chapter 12 Verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So, as Daniel is continuing on through his prophecies, we were just in chapter 9. If you continue on through all the way through chapter 12, you're going to get this whole story. And Daniel and Revelation go hand in hand. They just, they have to. It's about the end of time or the end of the age, as we understand the old, when Yahweh dwelt in a temple made with human hands. So, he's saying here that... Paul is going to agree with Daniel, and he's going to talk about the resurrection of the just and the unjust. And so, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, who's he talking to? The Thessalonians. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, who is us, Paul, and the rest of the, the disciples that are out teaching, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Paul is saying when this happens, when the destruction of the temple has, by the way, it was a future event because Paul was alive before the temple was destroyed. So, he's looking ahead and he's like, you're going to get some relief, everybody. He's telling everybody that. The relief is coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming soon. It's, gonna, it's coming quickly. Revelation things that are shortly to come to pass. Like all of this is really, really quick. And in the grand scheme of things, by the time Paul hits, we're talking about 8045, 8040 to 8045. Paul is dead by 8066 before anything happens in Jerusalem. Yeah. So 20 years of traveling around building the churches and think about it, the churches are still going on. He was only in, you know, these missionary journeys for about 20, 25 years. And he was in prison for six years of it, writing his letters right? So, he's trying to offer them comfort. You guys are being hunted down by this by Judaism. They're trying to squash us and trying to kill us and trying to stop this. There's going to come a time whenever this is going to be a relief for you. And when you see what this relief looks like, God's going to utterly destroy everything that we've ever known. And then he's going to dwell with us, just like he's dwelling with us now. He's going to continue to dwell with us, but that old way of doing things is done, and we're all going to witness that. Now, did that stop the persecution of the church? No. There's still people being persecuted today. That's why people are like, how can this be the new heaven and new earth? Like, That's the biggest argument. How can that be? Well, I've, I've already said, it's a spiritual thing. It's a changing of the mind. It's a, it's a transformation being translated from one way of thought into a different way, and we're going to get into that. When we get into season two, and Andy, I just put this out on Facebook today, we're going to bring in guests. I'm going to bring in people that are going to describe these changes that happened. 
whether it was through groupthink or whether it's through something that they've read scripturally or if it was just some life-changing event, whatever it was, people begin to believe this and it changes their life. And I'm sure there's other things in the world that it does that too, but I know so many more people that this has changed in my personal living, you know, in my life. I've seen God change people, or the Bible change people, or the relationships that they built with other Christians change people. I've watched their lives just suddenly they become like a supplicant to this Almighty God that before they never could care less whether He existed or He didn't. And then all of a sudden, things start changing. I want to bring pastors on and bring missionaries on. I want to bring people in that are going to talk about why they believe what they believe. And I want, I just want to watch it. Yeah. I want to see what people have to say. I mean, I'm very, very interested. All right. So as I was studying this about the, about the great tribulation, there's a book by William Kimball called what the Bible says about the great tribulation. And this was a quote from that book. It says, this period of great tribulation is not an event, which the entire world is yet awaiting. I thought that was interesting. Uh, but a past historic event of unparalleled, concentrated severity, specifically afflicting the Jewish nation in 70 AD. So all of you preachers who are out there saying, hey, you better watch out because God you know, still loves Israel. Yeah, he does. But not all Israel is Israel. It's not the nation of Israel he's talking about. He's talking about the promise. He's talking about the promise who are all of us who are Israel. Eusebius, who I've told you guys in the past, uh, was in the third century, and he wrote that the only known history of the church for the first 300 years, Eusebius of Caesarea wrote this, um, the flight of the Christians, the abomination of desolation, and the great tribulation were all connected with the events leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Eusebius wrote that in 300 AD. So, John Walvoord, who I've said in the past, uh, on the last episode, I talked about how he was one of the leading spokesmen for dispensationalism. He was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, and he is a dispensationalist. This is what he said. The Great Tribulation is a specific period of time beginning with the abomination of desolation. Now, in closing with the second coming of Christ, in the light of Daniel's prophecies and confirmed by reference to 42 months, in Revelation 11.2 and 13.5, the Great Tribulation is a specific three-and-a-half-year period leading up to the second coming. So, Walvoord sees this, he reads this, he understands it, but he doesn't know the history. He doesn't know how this has already taken place, or if he does, he's completely ignoring it because it was a three and a half year period. It was 66, halfway through 66, and it ended in 70. It was three and a half years, exactly to the date that Daniel describes. So it's it's already happened, but the, the biggest thing that you need to understand, everyone, is that this leading proponent of dispensationalism, he's linked all of these things together. He says that the second coming of Christ is during this time as well. That's why they feel like it's future because they don't believe that Christ came. But I'm saying Christ came in judgment. And that's what he said it was going to be. It was judgment because they killed God. They were He was judging them. So when you saw this destruction, you knew that he had come. And then God's dwelling with man. And we know that. So, excuse me. I'm, I'm still struggling a little bit uh, with... Uh, this breathing. COVID, yeah, with breathing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm talking a lot here. All right. So, if you remember what it just said in uh, verse 21, he says that this is going to be one of the greatest wars of all time. Nothing has ever happened like it before. And some of the stuff that I'm going to read you guys tonight is, is going to be shocking because most people don't know anything about this. But this is what Josephus said in the War of the Jews, okay? 
He says, whereas the war which the Jews made with the Romans hath been the greatest of all those, not only that have been in our times, but in a manner of those that were ever heard of. Josephus wasn't a Christian. Josephus was a Jew, and he worked for the Romans. But he said that this was by far, of all time, the war of wars, just like Jesus said it would be. All right. So, it's in, in order to understand what I believe is the Great Tribulation, first thing, first and foremost, we have to understand that it wasn't just the Romans that were trying to come in and squash this Jewish nation. The Romans, they were a lot more peaceful than you can understand. Yes, they were a war machine, but they, they liked to rule people and for people to pay taxes. Yeah, they were, they were pretty good for kind of walking in and being like, we can do this the easy way. Right. Or we can do this the hard way. And yeah. if you were like, let's do it the easy way, they'd be like, okay. Yeah, they're like, here's what the deal is. Yeah. Uh, we're, you pay taxes, we're going to take care of everything. Okay? Yeah. Just keep paying your taxes. Yep. And as long as they paid taxes and tribute to Caesar, everything was cool. But what happened was- Yeah, the, they're pretty open. They let people like- did they let people like worship as they saw fit and stuff too? Well, think about it. Pretty exceptional for that time period. This I feel is like. forty years after Christ, and the Romans were ruling Jerusalem at the time. They were occupying the nation, but all they asked for were was a tribute to Caesar. Pay your taxes. They could still go do and their Passover and everything. And even like if you when you read the crucifixion account, you can see that politically speaking, that Pilate was trying to keep the masses calm. So that, you know, let's get through Passover and let's get through this and then everything can go back to normal because they're slaughtering a bunch of goats, you know, a bunch of sheep and spreading blood everywhere. Like they allowed them to have their religion. So what happens is the zealots that are inside Jerusalem decide, you know what, let's stop paying our taxes. We're done. Telling all the people, quit paying them. They're occupying our country. They're against what we believe in. Let's get them out of here. Heard this story before, but go on. Have you? Yeah, it happened a couple thousand years later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> True. And so, what happens is the they decide not to pay, all right? And so, but here's what's funny. Let's look at what Jesus said in regard to taxes. I love this. So, they these Pharisees come up to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. This is just a couple chapters earlier, okay? So, this was some of the common things going on in their mind at the time. Just understand this. They say, tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And this is how Jesus responds. He looks at him and says, well, bring me a coin whose image and superscription is on it. And they said, Caesar's. And he says, okay, then render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but render unto God's the thing that are God's. So, he said, pay your taxes. Yeah, yeah. But what belongs to God? Us. Soul, I suppose. And our his image is on us. And so, yeah, he made money. Give him his money back. You know, give him the amount of money that he wants you to give him back. That's fine. Pay your taxes. Well, the zealots, didn't, they weren't having it. They didn't listen to him at all. And so, basically, they stopped paying the taxes. They're rebelling against Rome. And Rome's like, nope, that's nope. not how it works. Yeah, Rome does you know? not play that game. Not at all. So, this is something that Josephus wrote in regard to that. However, I will not go to the other extreme out of opposition to those men who extol the Romans, nor will I determine to raise the actions of my countrymen too high, but I will prosecute the actions of both parties with accuracy. Yet I shall suit my language to the passions I am under as to the affairs I describe, and must be allowed to indulge some, some lamentation upon the miseries undergone by my own country, for that it was a seditious temper of our own that destroyed it, and that they were the tyrants <laughs> among the Jews who brought the Roman power upon us, who unwillingly attacked us and occasioned the burning of our holy temple." 
Titus Caesar, who destroyed it, is himself a witness who, during the entire war, pitied the people who were kept under by the seditious and did often voluntarily delay the taking of the city and allow time to the siege in order to let the authors have opportunity for repentance. So he says, he, so Josephus is saying, look, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little bit of my heart. I'm a Jew. And like, this this really sucks. But you guys need to understand that we did this to ourselves. And yeah, he's working for the Romans. So maybe he's, you know, fearing for his he's, life yeah, and he's, he's writing gotta, whatever they're saying. He's tempering. got skin in the game. Yeah. He has skin in the game. So he's probably tempering a little bit. But even so, he's saying, look, let's just be real. We stopped paying taxes. We started being seditious. And the Romans weren't having it. Mm-hmm. And Titus actually felt sorry for us, <laughs> right. tried to keep from destroying us so that we would you're like, hey, look, just start paying your taxes, guys. We're going to back off. And they wouldn't. They refused. And he said, it's because of what we did. And so he continues on. He says, uh, accordingly, it appears to me that the misfortunes of all men from the beginning of the world, if they be compared to these of the Jews, are not so considerable as they were, while the authors of them were not foreigners neither. So... The other thing that the Jews did, which you might think is okay, is that they refused to offer sacrifice to Caesar. And that was an abomination in their mind. You don't offer sacrifices to anything but God. But if you're going to be a Roman citizen, if you're going to be protected by Rome, you're going to follow their lead. And one of the things that they do is you offer sacrifices to Caesar. That's what you do, okay? And I'm not saying that everybody should. But this is just... <laughs> that, is, that is how they did it. Yeah. <laughs> and so Josephus says this uh, at the beginning of the war. He says, and at this time, it was this... At, sorry. And at this time, it was that some of those that principally excited the people to go to war made an assault upon a certain fortress called Masada. They took it by treachery. If you want to know what Masada was, Masada was a tower that they had built and they could sit and look over the city. That's all it was. They were they could look over and there was sort of like the giant eyeball over the city. So are the Masad named for that tower? I don't think so, no. but maybe so. I don't know. It's a different spelling, oh, but, okay. but maybe it is. I mean, who knows? We could look that up. They took it by treachery and slew the Romans that were there and put others of their own party to keep it. At the same time, Eleazar, the son of Ananias, the high priest, a very bold youth who was at that time governor of the temple, persuaded those that officiated in the divine service to receive no gift or sacrifice for any foreigner. And this was the true beginning of our war with the Romans. For they rejected the sacrifice of Caesar on this account, and when many of the high priests and principal men besought them not to omit the sacrifice, which it was customary for them to offer for their princes, they would not be prevailed upon. These relied much upon their multitude, for the most flourishing part of the innovators assisted them, but they had the chief regard to Eleazar, the governor of the temple. So, the city, the city was, it was full of wickedness as far as the Roman was concerned. They, they're saying, you're not paying taxes, you're not offering these sacrifices, you're not following the rules, you need to do it. They're like, nope, not going to do it. And so, they're like, all right. So, then they start sending in, you know, all right, here they come. So, the city itself was in civil war. They have three factions that are going on inside it with three different leaders, okay? And during this time, they're having a civil war, and then here come the armies to surround it. So now they're having all this infighting. They're not paying the taxes to the Romans. Like, there's, they're just a bunch of pains in the ass. Like, this yeah. is what they are. And the Romans, they don't put up with this crap. They just don't. And so they're like, all right, we're going to squash this. So then they're going to surround the city, and inside is all, lots of turmoil, okay? If you are in a siege, you need lots of food, you need lots of water, you need the capability of staying. And the fact is, they could have stayed inside those walls for years. They could have. They had so many provisions. They continued sacrificing during the entire siege. 
Really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, they had a lot of stuff, so they could have handled it. So here's what Josephus says that, about that uh, infighting in the Civil War. And indeed, many there were of the Jews that deserted every day and fled away from the zealots, although their flight was very difficult, since they had guarded every passage out of the city and slew everyone that was caught at them. As taking it for granted, they were going over to the Romans, yet did he who gave them money get clear off, while he only that gave them none was voted a traitor. So the upshot was this, that the rich purchased their flight by money, while none but the poor were slain. Along all the roads also, vast numbers of dead bodies lay in heaps, and even many of those that were so zealous and deserting at length chose rather to perish within the city, for the hopes of burial made death in their own city appear, or the two less terrible to them, of the two less terrible to them. But these zealots came at last to that degree of barbarity as not to bestow a burial either on those slain in the city or on those that lay along the roads, but as if they had made an agreement to cancel both the laws of their country and the laws of nature. And at the same time that they defiled men with their wicked actions, they would pollute the divinity itself also. They left the dead bodies to putrefy under the sun, and the same punishment was allotted to such as buried any as to those that deserted. So, if you even buried them, they were going to kill you and leave you on the street. Wow. Yeah, which was no other than uh, than death, while he that granted the favor of a grave to another would presently stand in need of a grave himself. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, That's right? wild, Yeah. They're not having it. No. To say all in a word, no other gentle passion was so entirely lost among them as mercy. For what were the greatest objects of pity did most of all irritate these wretches? And they transferred their rage from the living to those that had been slain and from the dead to the living. Nay, the terror was so very great that he who survived called them that were first dead happy as being at rest already, as did those that were under torture in the prisons declare that upon this comparison, those that lay unburied actually were the happiest. These men, therefore, trampled upon all the laws of men and laughed at the laws of God and for the oracles of the prophets. They ridiculed them as the tricks of jugglers. Yet did these prophets foretell many things concerning the, reward, the rewards of virtue and punishments of vice, which when these zealots violated, they occasioned the fulfilling of those very prophecies belonging to their own country. For there was a certain ancient oracle of those men that the city should then be taken and the sanctuary burnt by right of war when a sedition should invade the Jews, and their own hand would pollute the temple of God. Now, while these zealots did not quite disbelieve these predictions, they made themselves the instruments of their accomplishment. You can find this in the uh, fourth chapter of section three of the book of the war of the Jews. So there's a book called the book of the war of the Jews. It's called the war of the Jews by Josephus. Oh, okay. Yep. There's antiquities of the Jews and then the war of the Jews. And this is a, this is a book in the Bible that I've somehow never nope, heard of. It's no, not okay. a book in the Bible. It is a historical book <laughs> okay. written by Flavius Josephus, who was a historian for Rome. Uh -huh. It's also written by Tacitus. Um, Flavius Josephus was a general for the Jewish nation, mm -hmm. and then he was captured, and then he was forced to become a historian for Rome on behalf of the Jews. He actually was brought in to try to create peace inside the you know inside the city, but they weren't having it because the zealots were you know too much. Yep. So Josephus wrote this history, and then Tacitus the Roman also did. So they had it from two different points of view. Huh. Yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, I'm going to read something interesting in uh, in Amos chapter eight in the Bible. Uh, in light of what Josephus says about the dead bodies laying in heaps and rotting in the sun. The Listen, lucky ones. I know, yeah, the happy ones. <laughs> Listen to what Amos actually says. This is in the Old Testament. 
Amos chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence, hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. So that was an Old Testament prophecy talking about this very moment here. So they'd broken the covenant these these with Rome, but also with God, okay? So in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, this is something that God said about this covenant. So he's created this covenant with his people. And so this is what Moses is warning them. He says, verse 28, uh, verse 15 of chapter 28, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So he's telling them about the curses. And so verse 63, he says, and as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you, and you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So from the get-go, this covenant that God made with them, he says, listen, if you guys don't follow me and you fall away, everything I've given you, I'm going to take away. And he does. And he does. Well, it gets taken at any rate. It does, yeah. And so so let's look at what Josephus says. Do you remember I was telling you about how they had plenty of provisions on the inside of the city, but that they they torched it and they yeah. ruined it? Well, they made a lot of popcorn. So here it goes. Josephus writes, and now there were three treacherous factions in the city. Remember I told you there were three factions. The one parted from the other. Eleazar and his party that kept the sacred first fruits came against John and their cups. Now, this is not the Johns that we know. And, you know, this is three separate men that are Jews that are part of these factions. Um, uh, came against John and their cups. Those that were with John plundered the populace and went out with zeal against Simon. Not the Simon we know. So it's John, Simon, and Eleazar. Those are the leaders of the three factions that's going on internally. Uh, during the siege. Those that were with John plundered the populace and went out with zeal against Simon. This Simon had his supply of provisions from the city in opposition to the seditious. When therefore John was assaulted on both sides, he made his men turn about, throwing his darts upon those citizens that came up against him from the cloisters he had in his possession, while he opposed those that attacked him from the temple by engines of war. And if at any time he was freed from those that were above him, which happened frequently, from their be being drunk and tired, he sallied out with a great number upon Simon and his party, and this he did always in such parts of the city as he could come at, till he set on fire those houses that were full of corn and of all provisions. So now he burns. They just have lots of popcorn. This, this is a podcast, so the 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 utterly befuddled face I'm making yes. won't translate. <laughs> but but imagine a person with an utterly befuddled look on their face. And that's what I look <laughs> like. Like you're in your city and there's all these fight infighting, you know you're surrounded. And what do you do? You just make a bunch of popcorn. You burn all the corn and all the food. Like that's brilliant, you know? The same thing was done by Simon when upon the other's retreat, he attacked the city also as if they had on purpose done it to serve the Romans, you know, <laughs> by destroying what the city had laid up against the siege. So, 
and by thus cutting off the nerves of their own power, accordingly it so came to pass that all the places that were about the temple were burnt down and were become an intermediate desert space, wow. ready for fighting on both sides. So it's just like internal and external and oh, just dude. horrible on both Can you fronts. imagine being a resident of the city of Jerusalem during this time? There's just like an, an internal civil war and a, and a literal siege. Yes, and a literal siege. And they're, all their food's getting burnt up. All They're fighting all the time. They can't... Nothing can stop this. And like a rational human is probably, a rational human is probably standing there like, what is wrong <laughs> with you people? <laughs> I mean, are you guys voting for Trump? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you just need to tear it all down, Rick. <laughs> sometimes you got to go after I, the- I remember, I knew people that voted for Trump that literally, like, that was their argument. Yeah, sometimes like, you got to tear it all down. Just yeah. the, the urge to see things lit on fire, sort of, not literally, <laughs> yeah. but you know what I mean? Like, that's, I, yeah. I talked to some people, that was their argument. I was like, I all mean, right. the attack on the Capitol, I come from, in my personal opinion, I was so appalled by that. Just, oh my gosh, to, to see that happen, yeah. that they would attack our own Capitol. It's you know? wild. Those and I was, are- a, I'm a Trump voter, but I do not agree with any of that that was going on, like with the Capitol riots and all that. It's garbage. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I still, I yeah, still can't believe you're, it. You're thinking, what country is this? Those oh, wait, people this are- is the United States. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those people are wild. Wild French people and a mixture of of idiots that just didn't grasp the situation <laughs> like like really fringe people and and uh, like other people that were kind of swept up but didn't understand <laughs> the, you know the enormity me? of the situation's crazy that they were they were reading the dark web do you know what I mean? like QAnon I mean QAnon oh, yeah. was the dark web this we're talking about 4chan and 8chan and yeah. like this is like I didn't even know these things existed you know I, and I yeah, was like 8chan, what is this crap 8chan was a replacement for 4chan not to yeah, that's the one. Did you see the documentary of uh, the documentary about a uh, Q? Q? Yeah, yeah, yeah on I did. HBO is good. We won't get into that because forever too much. But but yeah, worth worthwhile, interesting. If but as else. we sat on January sixth, twenty twenty one, and we watched what happened to our own capital, we're all sitting around like, what is going on? That's nothing in comparison to what it was like in Jerusalem. Well, that that in Jerusalem is just a a complete cluster. Yes. It's like, can you even imagine like in a siege city with like a violent civil war that's just resulting in destruction of like goods and property, but it's like, it's under a siege. It's like madness. madness. You guys, you're probably going to remember this verse from an earlier episode when we did our uh, scriptures out of context, you know? (laughs) So this is Ezekiel 4, 10 and 12. This is actually discussing what is happening in Jerusalem during this siege. Okay, talking about the future siege uh, from Ezekiel's time. It says, And your food that you eat shall be by weight, 20 shekels a day. From day to day you shall eat it, and water you shall drink by measure, the sixth part of a hen. From day to day you shall drink, and you shall eat it as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. Oh, yeah. Remember? Yeah, this was that yeah. same siege. Yeah. Yeah. I was so, wondering if now. this was the same siege. It was actually yeah. talking about the AD 70 siege. It was a future prophecy. Because the temple had already been destroyed the first time during Ezekiel's time, then they would rebuild, you know, the temple after the fact. All right, so 
Also, um, in Revelation chapter 6, it talks about it too. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. So, a pair of scales, uh, anytime you read about scales, it's a symbol for famine in the Old Testament, (laughs) always. And so, that's what's going on. Uh, verse uh, 7 and 8 in Revelation, it says, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So, um, listen to these prophecies being fulfilled in Josephus' historical account. All right, it says, Indeed, Why do I relate these particular calamities? While Menaeus, the son of Lazarus, came running to Titus at this very time and told him that there had been carried out through that one gate, which was entrusted to his care, no fewer than 115,888 dead bodies. In the interval between the 14th day of the month of Nisan, when the Romans pitched their camp by the city, and the first day of the month of Tammuz. Did you hear that? 188,000. Wow. <laughs> I, I wonder how what, how big that city was at that time, just for perspective. Yeah, I don't know. That would be interesting to know. I mean, 188,000 at that time is a that's is a, a full yeah. city. That's yeah, a, that's, a, that's a, a real city at that point in history. That is a big city. Yes. 188,000 is a lot. Yeah, and it says, according to Josephus, he says, this was a this was itself a prodigious multitude, and though this man was not himself set as a governor at that gate, yet was he appointed to pay the public stipend for carrying these bodies out. So as these bodies had to be carried out, keep in mind, somebody was getting paid to do it, right? And so this guy was in charge of it. Um, and so by... And so was obliged of necessity to number them. So this is why they got the number was because he was getting paid for the amount of people that he was actually taken out. Oh yeah, so you can leave it to accounting or business. <laughs> you know? While the rest were buried by their relations, though all their burial was but this to bring them away and cast them out of the city. After this man, there ran away to Titus many of the eminent citizens and told him the entire number of the poor that were dead, and that no fewer than six hundred thousand were thrown out of the gates. Though still the number of the rest could not be discovered, and they told him further that when they were no longer able to carry out the dead bodies of the poor, they laid their corpses on heaps in very large houses and shut them up therein, and also that a, that a medimnus of wheat was sold for a talent, and that when, a while afterward, it was not possible to gather herbs, by reason the city was all walled about, some persons were driven to that terrible distress as to search the common sewers and old dung hills of cattle, and to eat the dung which they got there. And what they of old could not endure so much as to see, they now used for food. When the Romans barely heard all this, they com- uh, commiserated their case, while the seditious, who saw it also, did not repent, but suffered the same distress to come upon themselves, for they were blinded by that fate which was already coming upon the city and upon themselves. You can find this in chapter 8, section 7 of the fifth book of Josephus, so on the War of the Jews. So, this is all recorded history, guys. So, listen to the depth of the famine. This story I'm getting ready to read, and I'm going to end it. Uh, I'm going to end this now. But I just, I, I want you guys to listen very carefully to what, to how bad it got. We've already heard 600,000, 188,000. 
you this is a lot of people. Now it's, you know, how many people are in New York with these tall skyscrapers? 12 million, I think, are yeah, in New York, you know? Yeah, something like that. And it's, at this point, like the eighth or 10th biggest city in the world. Right. You know, because, wow. like, there's cities in China we haven't even heard of that are bigger than New York. It's wild. Right. Now, if you remember <laughs> September 11th, 2001, two planes hit the buildings. They hit Pentagon in Washington. It was a pretty big deal. How many people died? Oh, Lord. It wasn't even 2,000. 3,000. 3,000, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that changed our world forever. Yeah, correct. Yeah, for sure, Absolutely. it changed our world. Yeah, it, it changed the it whole globe. Dictated the world yeah. we live in today. It dictated the world. Now that was just a couple of planes. Now imagine three and a half years of absolute destruction, and think about six hundred something thousand Jews being thrown in heaps on the side of the road, and all this. And these are the ones that they actually counted. We're not right. talking about the ones that they didn't. The ones that burned alive. Yeah. That you know. There was a lot of death and destruction in this short period of time. I mean, it's wild that they would just pile a house full of bodies and seal it because they just didn't have anywhere else to put That's it. That's right. Can yeah. you even imagine? No. What is the that? The putrefaction, the smell. Oh, of the, exactly. And then whenever you are eating, you're eating dung. Yeah. Now, listen to this. Guys, it gets it gets really crazy. So let's. Oh, oh this is where it gets crazy. This is where it gets crazy. So <laughs> Somewhere after the dung eating? Yeah. Wow. This is going to be, this is going to gross you out a little bit. If anybody has kids in the car or you're listening to this, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you now, uh, you probably want to shut this off, listen to it later. You don't want children to hear this. Okay. So this is, there's your fair warning. So this is uh, from Josephus. Now, there was a certain woman that dwelt beyond Jordan. Her name was Mary. Her father was Eleazar of the village Bethzebub, which signifies the house of Hyssop. She was eminent for her family and her wealth and had fled away to Jerusalem with the rest of the multitude and was with them besieged therein at this time. The other effects of this woman had been already seized upon, such, I mean, as she had brought with her out of Perea and removed to the city." What she had treasured up besides, as also what food she had contrived to save, had also been carried off by the rapacious guards, who came every day running into her house for that purpose. This put the poor woman into a very great passion, and by the frequent reproaches and imprecations she cast at these rapacious villains, she had provoked them to anger against her. But none of them, either out of the indignation she had raised against herself, or out of the commiseration of her case, would take away her life. And if she found any food, she perceived her labors were for others and not for herself. And it was now become impossible for her any way to find any more food. While the famine pierced through her very bowels and marrow, when also her passion was fired to a degree beyond the famine itself, nor did she consult with anything but with her passion and the necessity she was in, she then attempted a most unnatural thing, and snatching up her son, who was a child sucking at her breast, she said, O thou miserable infant, for whom shall I preserve thee in this war, this famine, and this sedition? As to the war with the Romans, if they, pres if they preserve our lives, we must be slaves." The famine also will destroy us, even before that slavery comes upon us. Yet are these seditious rogues more terrible than both the other? Come on, be thou my food, and be thou a fury to these seditious varlets, and a byword to the world, which is all that is now wanting to complete the calamities of us Jews. As soon as she had said this, she slew her son and roasted him, and ate one half of him and kept the other half of her, half by her concealed. So this is her own son. 
She's eaten half of her son after she's cooked him. Upon this, the seditious come in presently, and smelling the horrid scent of this food, they threatened her that they would cut her throat immediately if she did not show them what food she had gotten ready. She replied that she had saved a very fine portion of it for them, and withal uncovered what was left of her son. Hereupon they were seized with a horror and amazement of mind, and stood astonished at the sight, when she said to them, This is mine own son, and what hath been done was mine own doing. Come, eat of this food, for I have eaten it of myself. Do not you pretend to be either more tender than a woman, or more compassionate than a mother. But if you be so scrupulous, and do abominate this my sacrifice, as I have eaten the one half, let the rest be reserved for me also. Huh. After which those men went out trembling, being never so much affrighted at anything as they were at this, and with some difficulty they left the rest of that meat to the mother, upon which the whole city was full of horrid action immediately, and while everyone laid this miserable case before their own eyes, they trembled as, this, as if this unheard of action had been done by themselves. So those that were distressed by the famine were very desirous to die, and those already dead were esteemed happy because they had not lived long enough either to hear or see such memories. You can find this in uh, Book 6, Chapter 3 of Section 4 of The War of the Jews. So, listen to this. This was in, you remember I was reading Deuteronomy 28 earlier? Listen to what, this isn't what it says. Deuteronomy 28, verse 53. This was one of the curses. You ready? And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you, in the siege and in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you. So, that earliest part of the covenant, God told him, if you deny me, this is what will happen. Wow. And it did. Wow. This is long before the destruction of the temple and Daniel and all of these other things and the destruction of the second temple. This is the very beginning when Moses is with him in Deuteronomy 28. He says, you're going to eat your own kids. It's yeah. going to be that bad. Isn't that something? That's wild. That is, that is wild. Read Deuteronomy 28, everybody. Read it. For yourself, the covenant that God made with him, and he, and he warned him what would happen, and that's exactly what happened. Exactly. This is long before all of the other prophet, uh, prophets hit. So let's think about that for a second. Um, before I get into the the last of the severity of Jerusalem, this is it. Like I told you, I was going to finish this. I just want everybody to hear this. Okay. I'm going to read this one verse one more time. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No and never will be. This is what Jesus had said, okay, in his Olivet Discourse. Now, here's something more from Josephus. Hereupon, some of the deserters, having no other way, leaped down from the wall immediately, while others of them went out of the city with stones, as if they would fight them, but thereupon they fled away to the Romans. But here a worse fate accompanied these than what they had found within the city, and they met with a quicker dispatch from the two great abundance they had among the Romans than they could have done from the famine among the Jews. For when they came first to the Romans, they were puffed up by the famine, right? So yeah, if you yeah. don't eat a lot, they, they've got that bloated stomach. You know, you've seen the Ethiopian pictures yeah. from the 80s whenever we were kids, you know, they were this bloated. So it says they were puffed up by the famine and swelled like men in a dropsy, after which they all on the sudden overfilled those bodies that were before empty and then burst asunder. So they they get some food and they eat so ravenously that they actually burst themselves because they were so hungry, okay? Accepting such only as were skillful enough to restrain their own appetites. People who saw what happened and were like, okay, I, I can't eat all that. You know, I gotta, gotta be calm. Um, 
restrained their own appetites and by degrees took in their food into bodies unaccustomed thereto. Yet did another plague seize upon those that were thus preserved. For there was found among the Syrian deserters a certain person who was caught gathering pieces of gold out of the excrements of the Jews' bellies, for the deserters used to swallow such pieces of gold, as we told you before, when they came out, and for these did the seditious search them all, for there was a great quantity of gold in the city, insomuch that as much was now sold in the Roman camp for twelve drams, as was sold before for twenty-five. But when this contrivance was discovered in one instance, when they discovered that these people were eating the gold and trying to escape the city, all right, the fame of it filled their several camps that the deserters came to them full of gold. So the multitude of the Arabians with the Syrians cut up those that came as supplicants and searched their bellies. Oh, Lord. So they escape, they get out of the city, they come to this, and they're like, okay, we're out. They're like, uh, let's kill them and uh, check their bellies for gold. No Jews are made of gold, right? <laughs> you guys are eating gold. Love Nor that does money. It- <laughs> <laughs> I ain't saying they're a gold digger. <laughs> Nor does it seem to me that any misery befell the Jews that was more terrible than this, since in one night's time, about 2,000 of these deserters were dissected. You can find this in Book 5, Chapter 8, Jeez. in Section 4 of The War of the Jews by Josephus. So, so this is... So, so, you said Josephus was a general. He was there... As all this was going on, oh yeah, he was there. He was, he was like a, a journalist a, reporter okay. wow. during the war. Okay, okay, sitting there taking down all this information. He was he was paid by the Romans to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, but he tried to work on behalf of his own people, and they wouldn't have it. And so this was one of the most terrible wars of all time ever that's ever happened before or since. This has already happened. So, uh, whenever they were about to crucify Jesus and Pilate tries to stop them, this is right before they kill God's son. They say, he says, who do you want? Do you want Barabbas or do you want this Jesus, the King of the Jews? And they yell out, crucify him, crucify him. And in Matthew 27, verse 25, and all the people answered, his blood be on us and upon our children. They prophesied all to themselves what was about to happen when they killed God's son. So, this, let's see here. The crime of the crucifixion of the son of God was the worst in history, according to Christians. The killing of the most holy God's son was the worst crime that, in their minds, that could have happened. So, French historian Ernest Renan wrote this book that, uh, called The Origins of Christianity, and here's a quote from it. It says, From this time forth, hunger, rage, despair, and madness dwelt in Jerusalem. It was a cage of furious maniacs, a city resounding with howling and inhabited by cannibals, an absolute and very hell. Titus, for his part, was atrociously vindictive. Every day, 500 unfortunates were crucified in the side of the city with hateful refinements of cruelty or sufficient ground whereon to erect them. Wow. That was 500 people were crucified a day during the siege. With hateful refinements of cruelty. (laughs) Yes. What else? What else did they do? Right. We can't even begin to understand. We can't. It is of my opinion that if anyone wants to ever understand what a great tribulation looks like, I have only read a few quotes from the War of the Jews. I can't even touch and scratch the surface of what happened to that whole people. But something you need to understand is that they didn't get their city back until 1948. 
almost 2,000 years. It was so bad, it eradicated an entire religion and scattered an entire race of people across the globe. That's what the Jewish diaspora was. It was because of what the Romans did. It was the most brutal thing. Now the nation of Israel is in, is is around since 1948, but they are not Levitical priests. They are what are called Ashkenazi Jews. They are from Turkey. And they have a right to their land if they want to land. That I have no problem with that. I'm not a Zionist. I don't believe that we should be over there helping them defend their own country. I don't believe we should be giving them money for it. I don't believe we should help them build their temple or help their defense. They are a people that have decided to have their own land back. They killed Christians and Arabs to get it back, and we helped them. We did, and we were wrong in doing so. And in my opinion, and I've said this before and I'll continue until I'm dead, there will never be a physical temple on earth ever again. God said no. He did it. He took care of it. It's over. And so anyone that believes otherwise— I hate it for you, but those people who are really looking forward to that great tribulation, it's not coming either. It already happened. Well, how do you, how do you close stronger than that? That's, you can't. That's yeah. pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Drop this micro off. The <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's it for this episode. And um, we're going we're gonna to finish this all of a discourse. I want to get into what it means when it says the sun is dark and the moon loses light and the stars fall from the heavens and to understand what heaven and earth passing away actually is. I'm going to get into the description of heaven and earth like I did earlier on in the podcast. Uh, we got two more parts of this, all of a discourse, and then we're going to finish it up. And then uh, we're going to start doing some little bit lighter studies, not something as <laughs> deep. Um, you know, we're uh, Cherry wants to get into uh, doing some women's studies, so we're going to do the study on the book of Esther. If anybody doesn't know who Esther is in the Bible, it is... So awesome. It's like spy thriller and it's really cool, you know. But has anybody got any jokes? Uh, Ugh, no. Come on, guys. No. Have you got you any do. jokes, Joe? After I've, hearing I've had the about... same two jokes in my back pocket since I was 20. So did you already tell us one? Yeah, you've heard of both. I, oh, <laughs> his two jokes. My two jokes. Yeah. I, I wish I was kidding. Yeah. How about you, Joe? You got any jokes for us? Uh, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> After hearing the all of that, the only thing that I was thinking of right then is just like, man, chocolate cake would really make me feel better yeah. right now. Like that'd be the only thing. Chocolate cake is the soft reset of the human brain. I mean, that's pretty much my reset after hearing about a woman eating her baby and just, you know, like an entire race of people being eradicated in three years almost. I'm sitting here thinking about like madness. Chocolate yeah. cake. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sitting here thinking about chocolate cake. <laughs> I think it's called disassociating, but understood. Yeah. It's just something. Oh, I think Rick's trying to Google a joke. I was trying to find the, the joke about the guy that said he, he had dreamt about monsters, but sorry guys. I don't have any jokes for this no, episode. Oh no. We'll Lucky get some us. next time. Like, yeah. Come on. You know, Lucky. you look forward to it. You love donkey. donkey. If you have kids, these jokes work. They work for little kids. Not, not so much for the adults. So anyway, well, anyway, thanks Billy. Thanks Andy. Thanks Jonas for Thank being you. here. And thank you. Um, Glad to be next back. time we'll get you to do the Robert De Niro. Yeah. We're going to be finishing up season one. We got two more parts. Season one will be complete and we will start season two on Groundhog Day 2022. Yeah. It'll be cool. two, two, 
2022. 2-2-2022? Yep. Two-two. That's when season two starts for us. Oh, wow. Yeah, buddy. Did you plan that? I did not. That's also the was day that the band I play bass for is releasing the uh, their album. So mm-hmm. Groundhog Day in 2022? Yeah. We're not actually recording on that day, but I'm going to release on that day. So I that's it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening to us. We are the Burrows of Berea. See you later. Yeah. Ha he ha. Usually when I walk into a room, I'm the one that turns everybody off. (laughs) That's sad. That's sad. You want to tell us all about it? It's because you're not wearing a vest. What the hell? I know. I I decided not to wear a vest. What is this, 2022 or something? (laughs) uh, He did wear a signature visor, though. Yeah, he did. I was going to ask you about your shoes. I'm digging your shoes. These these are old, man. Yeah. Yeah. They're like yours without the buckle. Yeah. Mine are the... uh, uh, Asheville, Seattle <laughs> shoes. You know, oh, man. these are my Antifa shoes. <laughs> so the ones you go to Bellshare and wear. <laughs> they don't. They, I know, and they don't even do Bellshare anymore. <laughs> Dang it's it. just like they have the appeal of Antifa, except without the uh, government declared terrorists. He, he bought them for Bellshare, and then they closed <laughs> the place down. I, your shoes have the appeal of Antifa. <laughs> That's what he said. And my and my shirt. <laughs> Are we rolling? Yeah, yeah, we're oh, rolling. Yeah. You do look, you do look sort of lumberjacky today, like <laughs> like edgy, edgy lumberjack. <laughs> lumberjack. I like edgy. Lumberjack. Only from the ankle up, from there down, I'm just like a straight up lesbian. <laughs> oh man.